Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. This is Carolyn Martin. Currently on display at the Rock Island Arsenal Museum is an exhibit which documents, interprets artistically, and preserves veteran stories from all five branches of the military. Their stories are then interpreted by artists through a variety of printmaking techniques. And here talking art with me today is Patrick Alley, the director of the Rock Island Arsenal Museum, Bill Albrecht, the decorated Vietnam War veteran whose story is one of those told in this exhibit, and Joseph Lappy, Associate Professor and Chair of the Art Department at St. Ambrose University. Welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Hi. So Patrick, let's start with you. How did this exhibit come about? Yeah, so as far as my involvement with the project, about a little over a year ago, um, representatives from the project reached out to um, a group of Army Museum directors. There's 47 Army Museums spread across the country and, and globally. And so representatives from the project who had previously worked with some Army Museums uh, kind of presented all of us the opportunity uh, to have this exhibit on display at, at our institutions. And so um, within, I would say, an hour of, of receiving information about the exhibit, I reached out to the organizer of EVAC, or Experiencing Veterans and Artists Collaboration, um, to explore the options for getting it here uh, to the Rock Island Arsenal Museum. Mm -hmm. And what, what would you say the purpose of it is? So the purpose of the, the project is, um, at the end of the day, to kind of bridge the civilian military gap. Uh, I've seen a number of, of veterans art projects, and a lot of times it's veterans creating the art pieces. What struck me about this particular exhibit and this particular project um, was the way in which they went about it. So uh, they they interviewed the veteran, and then they provided that um, that interview to the artist. And so you actually have the military story, um, and then you have a civilian artist interpreting that story. And so you really get some some interesting interpretations based on that. Mm -hmm. And the majority of the time, they tried to pair the veteran story with an artist from their same community. When they could. So... Um, what the project really wants to do is is the project builds. So they had you know a, an initial uh, grouping of, of veterans and pieces of artwork, and then every time this goes into a new community, their hope is that a veteran from that community uh, takes part in the project and, and in turn an artist, of course, and so that they they can add that to to the exhibit as it travels, and then also make that local connection, which I think is really important for this project, that this is a story of a veteran from, from the Quad Cities community. Mm -hmm. And that process of storytelling is really you know, important to this project. Being able to describe something that happened to you, whether verbally or in writing, is a necessary component of that healing process. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's and it's interesting because you have um, 
you have stories told from World War II through today. Um, you have all five branches represented within the art pieces. And then you also have kind of different phases of, um, of an individual's life told. So you have uh, some veterans talking about when they were actually serving. Uh, you have one story in particular is about a, uh, a World War II veteran who landed at Anzio in 1944. And he talks about landing on the beaches there. Uh, and then you also have veterans who talk about their post-service life, what it was like coming back after Vietnam, for example, uh, and what they experienced in, in the following years, decades afterwards. Mm -hmm. So these stories stretch from World War II up to current time, up to Iraq and Afghanistan. They certainly do. So you get a really um, a broad look at military service, but you also, throughout the 15 pieces we have on display, um, a lot of common threads, too. How many pairs of stories and prints are in this exhibit? So there's 15 uh, in total, again, ranging from World War II through today, all five branches represented within those pieces. Mm -hmm. The common themes seem to be, you know, d despite these, these service members um, working in vastly different times under vastly dif different circumstances with different types of equipment, um, being in different parts of the world. When they came back, there was this common thread um, to their story. It was it, it was it's a very challenging time to come back and become reimmersed in civilian life. Absolutely, and and each each piece is paired with an excerpt from the oral history that was taken, and you read through those and you you get that through every single one of those excerpts. Mm -hmm. Now the EVAC project, this is a, that's a nonprofit organization. It is, so it's a, it's a 501c3, they're, they're based out of Ohio. Uh, it was originally a partnership between the Ohio Arts Council and the Northwest Ohio uh, Veterans Oral History Project. Again, they have since expanded uh, to start working with obviously veterans outside of Ohio, um, as well as artists. So the artists are from 23 states, one outside of the US, and then again, they've worked with, with veterans from across the country. Mm -hmm. Now, the museum is hosting an artist and curator's panel on Friday evening, January 17th from 5 to 7 p.m. What will happen there? So the panel discussion will include the curators from the project, who are also the organizers, um, as well as uh, they'll be bringing in uh, Joseph Lappy, who's um, an artist here in uh in the Quad Cities, and he'll be speaking at that panel as well, talking about the project itself, the genesis of the project, what they do, their mission, um, and then kind of the process of working with both the artists and the veterans uh, as they develop the art pieces uh, and the impact that this exhibit has made in various communities. So that's a perfect time really for people to come see the exhibit, but if they can't make it on Friday night, it's open until through mid-February. It is, so the exhibit itself is open um, when the museum opens, uh, so the museum is open Tuesday through Saturday from noon to four, um, and the exhibit itself will run through February 15th. Mm -hmm. And being on the arsenal, there's something um, very special about that too, just simply being in that historic old building. Absolutely. So you're, you'll be reading stories about veterans while someone in uniform may be walking, <laughs> walking right past you, or you'll, you'll pass them coming in. So honestly, this, this exhibit has been displayed at Army Museums and is planned to be displayed at places like the Pentagon, um, 10th Mountain Museum in, in Fort Drum, uh, Walter Reed Hospital. So um, I think those sorts of venues really play well to this exhibit because you're not only telling the veteran story, but you're also telling it in a place where um, people are experiencing the military. Now, Bill Albrecht, you're a Vietnam War veteran who is originally from Rock Island. Yes, I am. Yep. And you are quite decorated. You received three Purple Hearts, I believe three Silver Stars and five Bronze Stars for your service uh, in a remote outpost called Firebase Kate. 
and that was obviously an extremely difficult event. Can can you describe for us what happened there there briefly? The awards and decorations received were over, over the period of the entire tour, not not one action. Uh, Firebase Kate was on the uh, set on the darn near on top of the uh, border between Cambodia and uh, South Vietnam in the Central Highlands, in the Southern Central Highlands. And it was a fire base that led support to a larger Special Forces Green Beret, if you will, camp. And around it was about 150 mountain yards, which would be the equivalent of the American Indians. Uh, they were the native hill people of Vietnam. We, Special Forces, trained them, equipped them, advised them, and led them in, in combat. So they were uh, who they were our kind of our security force, because artillery can't shoot and defend themselves at the same time if they come under attack. So we had another 27, 30 American artillery people there too. My job when I got there on 28 October 1969 was to take over the security element as a young captain and uh, make sure that this base was secure in case it got attacked and the artillerymen had to do their jobs. Unfortunately, we were dead set in the path of about uh, a couple of uh, NVA uh, regiments that were on their way to the larger camp of Buprang, Special Forces Camp. And I got there on the 28th, and that night we were hit. And the battle raged for uh, five days, and I lost a lot of people. And we got to the end, the end point where we couldn't get any more helicopter support in because they were literally blowing them out of the sky. They had brought in some anti-aircraft weaponry, some uh, 37 millimeter, and they couldn't get us any ammo. They couldn't get us any water, and water was phenomenally crucial. And they couldn't get us any um, people. They couldn't get people within uh, several kilometers of us because we were faced with about 6,000 uh, enemy. But we held on as long as we could and then when we couldn't hang on anymore, I made the decision that we had to abandon Firebase Kate and we were going to attempt a, a breakout through enemy lines. And that is the, uh, that's the juxtaposition story right there. And that's exactly what we did. And by the hand of God that night, and we did come under attack, they came up the north end to sweep through the, the fire basin. I'm sorry, the south. We went off the north. And we did run into them, but a smaller part, part part of them. And we were able to negotiate and fight our way through it. And when the, uh, again, by the hand of God, I only lost one man. And I read that you made these difficult decisions. You went through this really traumatic experience as a, as the youngest Green Beret captain. You were 21 years old. Just 21. Yeah, yeah. I was 21. Uh, gosh, I got to Vietnam in uh, mid-August, turned 21 in... Uh, I'm sorry, turned 21 mid-August, and I, and I was promoted captain the end of August. You could do that back then. There was such a demand for company, company great officers at the, the uh, accelerated promotions in between. And you had to be 19 to graduate from officer candidate school, which I just was. And so that's how I ended up as that young of a captain. And the fact that I was in special forces, that was even uh, another step in that direction. So, yeah, it was quite a deal, quite a deal. This is my first time in combat, but... Keep in mind, I'd been trained. I'd been trained. And then I went on from there to another combat unit, and uh, we continued the fight until I was 
wounded the last time and then they put me in the rear. Well, your story in this art exhibit now talks about it talks about several things, but it starts with the anger that you felt after you returned home in 1970, how you initially didn't believe that your war experience had changed you, but that you were, in fact, deeply affected by it. Very effective. I, I just didn't recognize it. I mean, I was a, uh, I went to high school, Almond, Almond High School, class of 66, and I was voted uh, most fun to be with. You were... And, uh, <laughs> well, I don't doubt that at all. And I was not that fun to be with when I came home. <laughs> but you, but you sought refuge in other veterans who had had similar experiences. Exactly. We were. It was a very, very difficult time to be a veteran. A very difficult time. And I'm not whining. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you the way it was. It was a hard time. Uh, uh, let me give you two two quick stories, as we used to call them, war stories. A very good friend of mine, John Catherman, who's a teacher at Moline. He came over Vietnam, he served proudly, and he served with honor. And, and let me make this point really, really clear, serving with honor. And he did, and he, uh, as, as the vast majority of veterans did when they, when they did their time in Vietnam. And he was sitting in a, 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 a bar having a beer, waiting for his wife to get off work and meet him. And, and he had just come out of the jungle. It was a Friday night, and he had just come out of the jungle. He had a, a deep tan. Because he had been in combat and he had been with an infantry unit. And a guy looked at him, it was February, and he says, Hey, nice tan, man. Where'd you get that? And John said, I thought about it. And I says, I just got back from Florida. He said, Not because I was ashamed. He said, I just didn't want to get into it. I didn't want to go there. I just wanted to be left alone and live my life. I don't want to go there. And that's the way, unless you served, that's the way we felt. I didn't want to have to explain everything to you. And then the other story was in 1996 when I was at a special forces reunion at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I ran into Bo Greitz, who was a colonel, and he was a legend in, uh, in special forces. And I had met him briefly in, in Vietnam, and I went up to him as Colonel Greitz. I said, Bill Albrecht, I said, we met in the Trang back in 1970. And he looked at me, he says, you were with fifth group. And I said, yes, sir. He said, welcome home. And it struck me like a bolt of lightning. This is 1996. I came home in 70. This is the first person. This is the first time anybody, anybody had said welcome home to me. And I made it a point from then on to say that to every Vietnam veteran. And, and it, not just me. I mean, I didn't come up with this, but other people too. And if you ever want to say anything good to a Vietnam veteran, tell them welcome home. Because we certainly didn't get that when we did come home. Mm -hmm. This many years later... Uh, so far after the war, how did seeing the prints that were created in response to your story, how, how did that make you feel? I, it kind of floored me a bit. I was, uh, I was really taken aback. I, didn't know, I did not know what to expect whatsoever. And I remember looking at Joseph's, and, and at first it was very puzzling to me. And then I started, then the picture started getting clearer and clearer, and I saw pretty much where he was going and what he was doing. And then, and then he provided a kind of a, a, an explanation as to his thought process. And then it became crystal clear. And, and I, was, I was amazed at, at, at his interpretation and the medium that he used to, to send this message out. And it was about coming home. And it was about the people I served with. And it was about my fallen brothers. He, he kind of encapsulated the whole thing, as well as the other gentlemen. 
in, in what he came up with. Right, because they were two prints two, two made prints. in uh, association with your story. And, and one important part of your story that Joseph, Joseph Lappy, we're going to talk with, with him in just a second, um, that he really illustrated is that you talked about coming home and shutting the closet door and um, packing all your emotions and everything away behind that. But um, despite wanting to keep that closed, it wouldn't close all the way. And periodically it would, it would just burst open, rupture open, and you wouldn't know when that was going to happen exactly. And part of that um, kind of catharsis was you, you started to write. I did. I did. It would, it would creep out. The, the double lock closet that I had secure would crack and things would come out time to time. And then, and, and then it wasn't like a big flashback in, in some uh, moment that I had to, I couldn't do anything. No, it was something I had to process. I had, yes, I remember that happening and, and I had to process that thought and that memory and remember I had to, as well as any other veteran has been through this. This is a common occurrence with veterans. And after I did, I tucked it away and put it back in the, in the closet, foot locker, whatever you want to call it, but it just, the door just wouldn't go back closed all the way. And then in 2008, it, it burst open and everything came out. And I sat down to write. Yeah, and you wrote very well, obviously, because it culminated in the publication in 2015 of your memoir, Abandoned in Hell, The Fight for Vietnam's Firebase Kate. True. Mm-hmm. How, um, and so there are a variety of different art forms that, that are um, that are soothing and that are helpful. Obviously, besides the visual arts, writing is an art form that um, was sounds like it was necessary for you. It was published by Penguin Random House. How long did it take um, to write, and how did you find an editor and publisher? How did that work? I had no intention of writing a book. Absolutely no intention whatsoever. I just wanted to write down what had happened for my family, for my friends, because I'd been asked numerous times because it had made the media, it had made the news back in, in the day, and a lot of people knew about it. I never intended it, and a very good friend of mine, Ken Moffat, was in a situation, he read this, and he said, Bill, there's a, there's a book, a documentary, and a movie in this thing. And, and he uh, and I set forward, set out, and we were uh, fortunate enough to get a hold of Marvin Wolf, uh, a really, really good author, Vietnam veteran, and we cooperated, and we, we came up with this book. And let me tell you, Marvin is a, is a tremendous researcher and a tremendous writer, and uh, he had a publisher, and he had an agent, and he his agent knew a publisher, I should say. And it's very hard to get a book published, but when it was when it was our time, we had three offers in a week. So I was we were very fortunate. Obviously, went with the biggest one, mm-hmm. and uh, with things things were fortunate. All I really wanted to do was tell the story. A documentary was also made about 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 your experience. Yes, it was. It's called uh, Escape from Firebase Kate. It's on Amazon, actually. And he, uh, the only part I have in that is that I was interviewed. But he did a really, really good job of going out and finding the guys, as Marvin did, and interview them on camera, and they each tell their story. They're part of the story. Uh, it's it's quite moving. Mm-hmm. That was the filmmaker, Paul Cakert. Mm-hmm. Now, Joseph Lappy, you, you teach at St. Ambrose and are chair of the art department there and created one of the prints that is paired with um, Captain Albrock's story. All of those are true. <laughs> Describe your work for us. Uh, well, it's a four-color relief print, um, and the colors are um, yellow, or kind of a bronzy yellow, a, a purple, um, kind of a peachish pink, and then a dark 
uh, sepia, uh, and then white, which is just the color of the paper. Um, there are, uh, at the bottom you see uh, the top of a head. Outside of the head is coming a, a large number of uh, bubbles, some of them being these bronzy yellows, some of them being the purple, uh, representing um, the uh, uh, members of the forces that uh, Bill worked with. Um, uh, behind them you see striping. The striping is uh, to deal with um, uh, the awards that he received for his service. Uh, and behind the head is also a house, um, kind of representing this welcoming home, uh, but also trying to get into this world of... Uh, not a lot of people can experience what he or the millions and millions of, of uh, military members, men and women, uh, what they go through. And so for me, the important thing about an autobiography or a biography is that you can look at it and make it your autobiography and biography. So there's no world where the majority of us could ever anticipate or experience what um, active combat mm -hmm. uh, vets and current members of the military go through. But we can experience trauma. We can experience uh, uh, the connectivity of brother and sisterhood. We can experience um, uh, uh, loss. We can experience... Uh, all of that in different ways. And so the way that I was trying to, um, I'm making this much longer winded than necessary. <laughs> it was, it was really meant to just be a welcoming image mm -hmm. uh, that was recognizing uh, Bill, but also making it more than just him. Mm -hmm. And, and he did that with the interview that I listened to mm -hmm. as well. Well, I imagine it, it, it was a challenging, um, task really to artistically interpret another person's story especially a story that is one of anguish uh well i don't know if the anguish part was difficult i think that the part that was difficult is that he and i had never met before and so how do i do justice um not only uh, to his truths but again to the truths of of everybody so i i, I felt that that was more problematic than dealing with anguish. Again, kind of my pedigree is dealing with sorrow and anguish and sadness and death. Um, like that's, that's a, a thing that I know well. Um, but being able to respectfully speak to it in a way that again, isn't about Bill and isn't about me, but is about all of us. That's the difficulty. Yeah, it's it's a really unique um, way of presenting his story, I think. And and one aspect of art that I love is that, you know, a hundred people could look at the same um, piece of of art, um, the same creation, and and interpret it differently. Because when I looked at what you what you made, instead of um, the outline of Bill's head being in front of the house. I thought the house had this giant like crater in it where the door had been, you know, like ex 
ripped out um, by an explosion or something because he kept talking about in his story about he was trying to keep his his emotions hidden and shut up behind the door and then the door just blew open and then then you can see these bubbles kind of rising up which I thought were his thoughts and some of the bubbles you'll see outlines of people inside too right yeah so each bubble represents one of the uh, members, assuming I uh, counted correctly, <laughs> of of uh, Firebase Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some symbolic aspects to the colors that you chose too. Sure. Yeah. Well, and and just to briefly go back on what you just said about looking at different interpretations, I do think it's really important as an artist. Uh, my job is to be able to correctly. Um, I don't just get to present something to the world and let it go. Uh, my job is to be able to present something that even if people have different visual interpretations, they can they can uh, get to the core of what it means. So what you interpreted wasn't incorrect by any means. Like that is a big part of it. I was trying to keep any sort of element of violence out of it. So like the explosion might not be the case, but. Um, uh, this idea of uh, memory and love and uh, unity and creativity is what makes us us is a very big important part of it. Going into the colors, the colors uh, uh, in a way to um, respect Bill's personal story uh, and knowing that not all of these uh, 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 awards the the Purple Hearts, the uh, Silver Stars, and the Bronze Stars were from this particular thing, but also to be able to pay homage uh, to the man himself, the colors were a way to kind of subtly um, integrate that. Mm-hmm. So having that bronzy yellow for the Bronze Stars, having uh, the purple for the Purple Hearts, and having the white interpreting as the silver uh, was important and the pink and the brown just look nice together so like trying to get things that are Mm -hmm. are pretty together is 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 a nice component as well Mm -hmm. the piece you created for this exhibit is visually quite different from from a lot of your other work and you you told me earlier that you you did that because you didn't want it to be necessarily about sadness instead you wanted it to be about reconnection and love that you wanted those uh, themes to shine through. Correct. Yeah. So, um, again, just going back to this idea of what makes us us, and creativity is certainly a component of it. So, writing, music, theater, art, whatever that creative component is, so art as therapy, um, is is really important. And in a lot of the work that I do on my own. Uh, it it tends to be much more illustrative, right? Like it's illustrating a, a a pattern. It's saying that hope is suffering, but that suffering is what evolves us. Um, and veterans know that already, right? Like I don't need to be redundant. So coming into this, I could say as a civilian, <laughs> yeah, we all get the understanding that things are difficult. Nobody wants to hear that. Um the thing that I can offer as a civilian and as an artist is love and support. And to say that uh, uh, creativity is an outlet and uh, that you are loved and that you are a real person. Mm -hmm. And so if I had gone the way I normally draw, 
would be very, very right. sad, and, mm -hmm. and everybody would have been downer. And this was an attempt not to yeah. have that be the case. What techniques did you use to create this print? Uh, this is a relief print. So um, it's a four-color linoleum block print. Uh, each color is carved out of a separate piece of linoleum that are then uh, registered and printed through a, a printing press. I use hand gouges uh, to carve away the places that I don't want the color to be, and then the the area that's remaining is the space that gets inked up. Mm -hmm. So this was all by hand in, in this case. And you had to create multiple multiple um, models for this, or multiple um, cut, woodcut. Yeah, it's not woodcut. Uh, well, it's, it's, not... it's very similar to woodcut. Mm -hmm. It's linoleum. So it's like, if you think about the thing that we're, well, we're on carpet, but the floor linoleum, like a kitchen linoleum or anything like that. That's take off the shellac. Um, strip it of any sort of pattern, and that's more or less what it is. It's soft, it's pliable, it has no discernible grain, uh, but the process is the exact same as a wood carving. Mm -hmm. Why would you choose linoleum over wood? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's easier to cut. So uh, woodcut has grain. Anything that you have, uh, you can have engravings, like wood engravings where you would cut the cross section of a, of a tree, but mostly we use planks. So think of a plank that you would get from Home Depot or Menards. Uh, and so there's a, a discernible grain. And in this case, uh, I was dealing with a lot of rounded things. And uh, carving rounded things with the discernible grain isn't impossible, uh, but it takes a lot longer. Uh, and and initially I had planned on doing this letterpress. So I was going to send and I had the drawings. I was going to make it into a polymer plate. Uh, and that just wasn't feasible. Um, and so the linoleum allows for an ease in curvilinear marks, organic marks, and it's a little bit faster to carve. So it's, it's not as time consuming. It doesn't dull your blades as much. Mm -hmm. So those were good technical reasons to choose that really. It was a technical decision mm -hmm. if you want perfect honesty. Yeah. I mean, it, I was going with a relief print process regardless, um, the reason it ended up being linoleum was uh, for technical cost and mm -hmm. production. We'll provide a link on our website to your uh, to your work because um, you have some beautiful um, pieces that are that are on your own personal oh. on your own website. Thank you. Uh, but people in the community may recognize you also from your 2018 Figgy exhibition, Personal Mythologies. Yeah, 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So I was invited to have a. Uh, exhibition on the fourth floor of the Figgy. Um, I created a, a, a new piece specifically for that that was about 16 feet tall and about 120 feet long uh, and then showed uh, some of my earlier uh, carvings and my books. So um, artist books and bookmaking are my real, real passion. So there's a lot of the books there too. And you have an MFA in book... I do. I have an MFA uh, in interdisciplinary book and paper arts from Columbia College in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Well, Patrick Alley, Bill Albrecht, and Joseph Lappy, it's been so great talking with you. Thank you. Same thank, Yeah, thank you very much. 
The traveling exhibit, Experiencing Veterans and Artists Collaboration, or EVAC, is on display at the Rock Island Arsenal Museum through February 15th. The museum is free and open to the public, although an ID is required for entrance onto the island, which you can obtain at the visitor's center. An EVAC artist and curator's panel discussion will also be held this Friday evening, January 17th, from 5 to 7 p.m. So check your calendar and come see this thought-provoking exhibit. Additional daily hours are Tuesday through Saturday from noon until 4 p.m. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Kell. Thank you.